Good morning. This is Andy Brewer with the Northwest AHEC Healthcare Insights Podcast. Today, I have representatives of the North Carolina Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. Have with me Randy Jordan, who's the Chief Executive Officer, Mark Shear, who's the Deputy Director, and Cindy Jones, who is the Directory of Quality and Clinical Support. Welcome. Thank you. We're glad to be here. So uh, the thing that struck me the most um, was, you know, where the the money seems to give the most impact. And you have a, a figure of one dollar equals seven dollars and thirty eight cents of value uh, of investment. So for every dollar spent, that's seven dollars and thirty eight cents in healthcare services were provided. And that's pretty impressive because we hear about nonprofits all the time that some huge percentage of their operating budget for administration and and it looks like you guys have the opposite you're actually serving the community um, with these dollars in a very uh, very profound and impactful way so um, let's talk a little bit about that glad to Uh, those statistics that you're reporting Andy really reflect the efficiency of our member clinics so let me tell you a little bit about the clinics please Um, we have 67 member clinics across the state of North Carolina they have Uh, over 80 locations that they operate within and uh, within 78 counties. So you can see we've got a pretty wide spread across the state. Um, But the clinics themselves operate largely off of volunteerism. Uh, Some have paid employees, but uh, much of it is volunteered. Some of the sites, locations are donated. Uh, Many of the supplies that are used within those locations are donated. And the reason for those donations and why we are able to to attract so many is because our purpose is to provide through these clinics health care to folks that don't have health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so we try really hard, our clinics do, uh, to keep their costs very, very low. And so that then allows us to take a dollar and stretch it 7.38 times. Mm -hmm. In fact, a dollar makes $7.38 worth of value. And uh, it is a good it is a good uh, investment by those who support our work, but it also provides great services to the patients that we serve. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you get those one dollars? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question because uh, I can tell you maybe first of all where we don't get them. We don't get them from the federal uh, government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't receive them through insurance or through the Medicaid program. So our clinics are largely dependent on philanthropy. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate in our state to have uh, a very supportive Office of Rural Health and Department of Health and Human Services that stand behind what safety net providers do. Uh, so there is one grant program called the Community Health Grant Program administered through the North Carolina Office of Rural Health that allows our clinics to apply for uh, grants up to $150,000. But aside from that, they're at they're doing golf tournaments. They're uh, doing bake sales. They're doing fundraising. They're uh, recruiting uh, members of their community to help out other members of their community. That's sort of the message of mm-hmm. free clinics. Well, that's great. I mean, we, we see a lot or I've seen a lot of uh, people go to GoFundMe and things like that to pay for medical services when they don't have insurance. And that's just a shame in the country we live in that that people have to rely on their their the philanthropy of of their friends and family and acquaintances to pitch in. But it seems like uh, you guys are a large uh, benefactor of, of getting the community to, to, to in, invest in healthcare and, and doing it in a way that 
really proves that you're reaching out to a lot of the members of the community who, who don't have insurance. And we talk a lot about social determinants of health. And here I have a whole stack on all those things. And it seems to be the hot issue now, or at least we're talking about it in these terms that people agreed have agreed upon. Uh, and, and addressing the factors that, that prevent people from having health insurance. So I said a lot there. I didn't have a question other than, you know, how do you see the community responding and how do you see uh, your capacity to continue this mission that you guys are doing? Well, let me, first of all, give a little context. We serve more than 80,000 North Carolinians every year uh, with these free or nearly free health care services. So it's, it's um, yet yeah, that only represents less than 10% of the total need in our state. Mm-hmm. North Carolina has 1.1 million people that are uninsured. And so our efforts combined with federally qualified health centers, local health departments, school-based health centers, and rural health centers work together to take care of almost 500,000 of those 1.1 million folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our role is particularly unique because we... I, I say sometimes we're the last gasp of hope for the uninsured mm-hmm. because after they've made their way through the uninsured provisions of the the other safety net providers, we're sort of their last chance to get health care. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, that's why our mission stands out so strong in our mind every day is many of our clinics, if you walk in the door with a Medicaid card, they will send you to another provider because they're going to use their scarce resources to help the uninsured. Mm-hmm. Now, that grassroots beginning is why we believe that social ter- determinants of health are an integral part of nearly every one of our clinics. Because mm-hmm. if, if a patient walks through the door, they're going to be looked at almost like a family member. Yes, your health care needs will be taken care of if you've got the flu or you've got high blood pressure, diabetes, those those medical issues will be addressed. But they also might ask you, when did you have your last meal? Mm -hmm. Or what kind of housing do you have? Or I noticed you missed your last appointment. Do you have any problems with transportation? Those are the social determinant of health issues that are addressed every day in the screening of our patients. But it's it's emerged out of a patient-centered focus on the needs of the patient as compared to to an external program. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that the programs that you're referring to, I'm, I'm glad that that issue is being highlighted in our state, but it's a very familiar topic within the free and charitable clinic community. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so a lot there I want to go into. Uh, so how did we end up with 1.1 or how many ever million people without insurance. I thought the Affordable Care Act was supposed to cover everyone or at least give everyone better access to having health insurance, which then gives them access to health care. So how, how do we end up here still? <laughs> it's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it because the Affordable Care Act was a very significant step in the right direction. Uh, I might add that Medicaid expansion could be another step in that direction because from the free and charitable clinic perspective, Every time an insurance product steps forward to take care of a patient that we're already taking care of, that allows us to redirect our resources to another, to the next patient in line uh, who needs our help. But when the Affordable Care Act became live several years back, we began to see a, a slight drop in the number of uninsured in North Carolina. Prior to the ACA, 
the uninsured number was more like 1.4, 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the number of enrollees, it's almost a one-to-one correlation between the drop in uninsured in North Carolina. Unfortunately, with some of the challenges that are being faced by the Affordable Care Act now, that number is beginning to creep back up incrementally. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, our hope is that the insurance that's in place now will stay in place and that possibly, you know, if the if the General Assembly is able to work out the differences, that there might be a chance to expand um, Medicaid through this new Healthy Working Families legislation that's being proposed. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, back to the clinic part. I mean, you said you had 80-some. How many member clinics was that? Uh, 67, 67 member clinic, clinics. In nearly 80. 80 yeah, 80. It, the number is, is a little hard to track down, but it's... 80 is in the right ballpark of the number of sites that we have. Yeah, and that's what I, kind of what led me to the question of how that, um, you know, the logistics of that. I mean, some of these are like pop-up clinics, right, that they do just certain times of year, and then they, they, they promote it, and then people come. So they're not just freestanding all the time. Do I have that right? Well, not exactly, because while some may do a health fair or what you might call a pop-up clinic, um, it's, it's one of the fascinating parts of my job is getting to go around and visit each clinic because everyone has a different story about their origin. Um, many of them might explain their existence by saying we had a doctor in our church who saw people in our community who needed help. And so on Tuesday night, that church made available a Sunday school room. And so they started a clinic there. Mm-hmm. We have a clinic down near Charlotte that opened in the back of a hardware store mm-hmm. because, you know, a doctor there saw a need and passionately strove to do it. In other cases, maybe it's a little more organized. Maybe a hospital has said, you know, we need to have an alternative to the emergency room mm-hmm. <laughs> to take care of these patients. So they then might step behind and support um, a clinic in a, in a local place. But uh, what is true and common about all of the origin stories for these clinics is that they've started within the community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we're here as representatives of the state association and we work really hard to be sure that they succeed, but we don't tell them where to work and we don't tell them uh, where not to. This is, this is a real, I think a, a success story that all of North Carolina can be proud of mm-hmm. caring for neighbors caused nearly 80 clinics to be set up to take care of people for free. It's a pretty remarkable story. That's great. Now, how, if someone was, uh, saw a need in their community, and I'm thinking, um, you know, the issues we have with rural health, it's a big topic here, um, not so much in Forsyth County, but in, in counties west of here where there might not even be one primary care provider in some of these counties and, and a handful of nurses, and they might be employed outside of the county. So if I'm like if I'm a church member and happen to have a couple healthcare professionals that go and then we say, well, we really need to figure out how we can serve our community. How, how do they get started with that? Yeah, there's there's a se- several different kits and resources that are available that people could pull off the Internet to find out sort of the guidelines of starting a clinic. Um, but I would say um, and, and our association is certainly willing to help. But I would say that. Um, this is a place where wisdom has its role. And if there it happens to be a free clinic in a neighboring community, maybe there's an access point through that existing free clinic that could serve that county. So there's, there's a chance to sort of look in your res- within your resources and see if you can help. You can look at other resources that are in neighboring communities and see if they can assist. 
And one more thing I would add that we're working on at the state association is an emerging telemedicine program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our belief that we can extend uh, primary care, we can extend access to specialty care, and we can overcome the transportation dilemma. All of these things are, are aided by a, a, a properly conceived telemedicine program. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process right now of uh, initiating that program. It's uh, in, in We expect within the next year that it may be available to every one of our members. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we're testing with a pilot program using uh, neurologist as a specialty referral to be able to work out the logistics of the telemedicine program. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, I think in, in the areas of primary care, preventative care um, to prevent things from getting out of control and therefore costing a lot more, that, that, that certainly plays into that. And um, uh, the uh, in mental health is a huge one too, especially for these counties that used to be either agriculturally based or manufacturing based where that's gone away. And, and, and what filled the, filled the gap in many cases, the opioid prescription and the, uh, and then subsequent misuse of that. So I see that, that being a, a, a big win to get people access to at least someone to talk to when they're having a crisis versus showing up at the emergency room. Yeah, you're right on all those points. Um, and in fact, there's, um, there's more <laughs> because uh, the nature of free clinics is to assess the needs within their community and then find uh, resources. Mm-hmm. Even here in Winston-Salem, there's such a great example of uh, the crisis control center, mm-hmm. which had, uh, a lot of engagement with housing and emergency services when a, when a resident of Winston-Salem was in crisis. But they identified a need for pharmacy services. And so this former housing assistance program has now had, resided within its building, a, f- a full-blown pharmacy, mm-hmm. to provide free pharmacy services to the residents of, of Winston-Salem. But there's other things, too, and we could talk about them. Uh, you 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 think mostly of primary care when you go to a free clinic, but you also might find access to behavioral health. You might find a dentist available. You might find uh, an optometrist available. Um, and you might find rotating through that free clinic a specialist who come in on a day a month or something like that mm-hmm. for particular specialties. So um, each the, the service array of each clinic is a little bit different, but it's an attempt to be responsive to the needs of the community. Now, how do you guys go about promotion and 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 uh, getting people to well, first of all, know about this, but also grow the capacity in the clinics that you have? And and how do you get your word out? Well, when I f- first came on board at the association, one of my observations was that free and charitable clinics in North Carolina were one of the best kept secrets mm-hmm. um, in the state. And I found that that's not exactly true, but it's because of the method of marketing. It's word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Many of the populations that we serve, um, you know, may not be on the Internet all the time. Um, you know, the, the things that they engage in may not make them as amenable to a traditional marketing campaign. But they do talk to each other and they know where they can get free care and they know where they can get quality care and they know where uh, they can be accepted. Mm-hmm. And so um, in most cases, our clinics aren't having any trouble attracting patients because mm-hmm. once they're able to successfully treat one, they go home, tell their friends, and others begin to show up. Mm-hmm. Now, at the grassroots level, um, does that, I mean, that sounds like 
grassroots right there when, for patients to find out. But how do you how do you stoke the pipeline for new budding young healthcare professionals to to get involved? I mean, assuming people go into healthcare because they want to help people, um, and when a just say a, an MD gets out of, gets gets licensed and they're out of school and now they're faced with quarter million dollars worth of debt, they're not really ready to give their time away for free, it would seem to me. So do you have some uh, inroads into the training and, and medical education to create awareness for the clinics that are out there and how they can get involved and serve their communities? Well, it's interesting you ask because I think it may be as many as six, at least five of our member clinics are sponsored by medical schools and have students who who have who are volunteering to work under the supervision of a licensed physician to help the poor in their community. Mm-hmm. There's one here in Winston Salem. Eastern Carolina has one. Mm-hmm. UNC has one, and so that's one way that uh, doctors, pharmacists, lab techs, nurses learn about the existence of the free and charitable clinic opportunity. Mm-hmm. But there's also uh, some programs that the state sponsors for loan repayment. If you go into a rural underserved area, there's some technical things that have to be satisfied for that to happen. But um, being able to repay that loan mm-hmm. is really significant. And we find that some um, providers just want to have the free clinic experience as where they practice medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, we describe it as kind of the purest form of medicine. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, it, it doesn't involve uh, this massive insurance claims processing obligation. And there are, are both uh, budding, young budding professionals who want to practice in that environment. And then also there's some that are beginning to retire and mm-hmm. uh, we've heard more than once, you know, this environment is sort of why I went to medical school so that I could practice medicine like this. Yeah. And it, it attracts a lot of volunteers. Yeah. So on that, um, the volunteer aspect as well, do, is there, I mean, let's just say there's no legal and insurance, uh, implications. Would it, is it, are there environments where, um, people who are or students, let's say high school students who are interested in health careers, is there a way that they can participate and, and be involved in those clinics at the local level? It, it's a common function in our office to be a clearinghouse for volunteers who mm-hmm. want to serve. They've identified a clinic or maybe they've identified a geography. And uh, our role is to refer those volunteer requests to the clinic itself because they, they know whether they can accept a volunteer, and if so, in what particular role. Yeah. Do they find any, like, uh, legal hurdles around that? I mean, for, for I guess, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, Maybe medical malpractice. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, but just, just any kind of, of, of legalities that might prevent them from having to do that that could be streamlined or – Something like that. I, I, I'm just thinking of, you know, a high school student. So I think I might want to go into nursing or I might want to be a doctor. And I really want to get a feel for what it's like to be boots on the ground in underserved areas. Because we hear that term a lot about social determinants of health and underserved areas and, and the healthcare crisis and the lack of access to care. And it seemed like that would be the place to figure out what is healthcare in America right yeah. now. Well, you may uh, you may get a little more of an answer than you asked for on this <laughs> one because my, my background is as a lawyer. And um, the issue of legal liability is one that actually in the, 
free clinic um, movement, it has been addressed in some regards. In North Carolina, we have a Good Samaritan law, which provides some degree of protection. Uh, there's a, f- a Federal Torch Claim Act provision for free and charitable clinics, which affords another level of protection. I'd have to add quickly that you have to be really careful that you fit all the pram- parameters of those programs before you have uh, that kind of protection. But for volunteers like you described, I think uh, the risk of exposure is, is, is relatively small. I think people should feel free to volunteer in their clinics. And then in a more um, sort of a higher level of education, one of the programs that we've been introduced to in the last few years is called MedServe. And MedServe specifically exists to take people who want to go to medical school and give them that kind of experience that you described. In fact, it's a very targeted program where a, 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 a person who intends to enter med school within the next year gets a chance to work uh, directly within the clinic. There's a small stipend that they're paid for doing so, but when you consider the value of what they deliver, it's nearly volunteerism. Mm-hmm. Well, um, has there been any efforts or movement to um, encourage uh, more community outreach and not just loan forgiveness? Forgive, forgiveness? Is that forgiveness? Yeah. yeah, forgiveness. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Um, but like uh, actual financial incentives or service uh, incentives to, hey, we're going to pay for half your medical training if you promise at the end to serve two years in the rural area or or in a, or in a specific clinic and, and, and volunteer a good portion of your time that ordinarily you would be working to pay off the, that debt. But, you know, sort of like, a, well, a, a volunteer commitment, I guess. Yeah, and in fact, that is a feature of the both the state and federal loan repayment programs. For when a person applies, they're making a commitment to serve in that environment for some number of years. Mm-hmm. And if, so long as they meet that requirement, then a portion of their expensive medical school or whatever school they went to mm-hmm. um, can be repaid. I, th- I, I'm. Uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that certain hospitals uh, or medical groups might incentivize a provider to have an experience at a free clinic. But the most formal uh, programs like you're describing, which encourage people to work in rural North Carolina are the state and federal loan repayment programs. Yeah, it would seem, I mean, I just see this great, you know, utopian experience where you have people who are coming to the clinic for healthcare needs, but you also invite um, students to come in and say, you know, look what you can become. It's not, you don't have to be super wealthy to go to medical school or, you know, here, look at all the different health careers that are representative here. And here's a path that you can get on to become that as well and give back to your community and also create a a profitable career, if you will. I agree. And maybe we should offer you a marketing job. You (laughs) said that very well. Well, that's why we're here, you know, to get your word out too. (laughs) I mean, so yeah, I mean, one of the reasons you came here this morning is because you're interested in, in getting the word out more through 
uh, vehicles like this, a podcast and things like that. So what, what, what are some of the things that you would uh, want to see or what you have in mind of what you would get out of expanding your content creation? I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're creating content that hopefully people will listen to and learn something from. So talk a little bit about what your vision for, for the, for that is. Yeah. Well, I think that there's going to be some of the work that we'll do in podcasting, which is, is public facing. And some is going to be towards our members, Mm -hmm. facing towards our members. On the public-facing side, a message that I'm dying to get out every time I get a chance to talk about it is the wonderful performance based on health outcomes reporting of free and charitable clinics. Mm -hmm. And Cindy, who's here with us today, has just done just such a wonderful job over the last 12 years or so of collecting health outcomes data in the areas of diabetes and hypertension control. Mm-hmm. And these are these are uh, data points that can be compared against federal standards because we perform our health outcome studies the same way. Mm-hmm. And so um, actually by comparison, uh, we stand right shoulder to shoulder with federally qualified health centers mm-hmm. where our health outcomes um, reporting is a little better than with the general Medicaid program or Medicaid HMOs. Mm -hmm. And the one that's most shocking is, and this is a a data point reported at the federal level, is that our health outcomes in these two areas match up nicely with commercial health insurance. Wow. So that's that's a little known fact, that if you go to a free and charitable clinic, you're not experiencing a lesser quality of care. In fact, in some cases, you may be finding a preferred quality of care. Mm-hmm. So that's a good public-facing message that we would like to get out through this f- format. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank you for giving us the chance to experience it firsthand. But what brought us here uh, to the original conversation with you is that we have um, a funder that has shown interest in us expanding our distance learning programs. Mm-hmm. So we've done webinars and things like that. But... I um, understand from um, our interactions with Northwest AHEC folks like you that this format is is becoming one of the most accepted ways of learning, Uh, maybe better than a webinar where you're sort of presenting slides and someone speaking to you. Mm -hmm. But this less less formal way to communicate information is interesting to people and causes them to – to pay attention. And so we have um, a desire to improve the training that uh, facility that we have for our members. And we are contemplating um, a, possibly a monthly podcast that would allow us to target specific topics, mm-hmm. bring in a subject matter expert and have a conversation just like we're having today. Yeah. And um, we believe that then, Um, made available as a training tool to our um, members would be a very powerful thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the power of conversation and the fact that you can time compound, like you can do other things with your headphones on and listen to a podcast and even put it on 2x speed and listen to the chipmunks deliver, (laughs) you know, deliver the the content. But I I think it's a growing medium and I think that uh, it's being noticed and and every uh, old media company has jumped in, you know, feet first into the podcasting realm. And I think for, for an educational medium, it's, it, it works because you can go in much greater depth, and you can kind of capture the the tone and the inflection a lot better than you can in a pre-recorded video, let's say, where you're 
halfway paying attention. We all know how that goes when, when you're looking at a video and you got your phone there and you got other things you have to do. So it, it does capture your attention. I think a lot, a lot better. So. Yeah. We, we, we see this as a nice addition to our communication plan. Mark Shearer, who's here with us today, oversees uh, an array of things that we do to try and help our members communicate out their message. We've prepared a professional video, mm-hmm. a professional brochure that coincides with that video. Uh, we have templates that allow um, our members to produce like a poster, which has info, uh, info facts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is just an area of sort of the digital world um, that we think fits nicely with our website, which has a lot of information on it as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these these less expensive tools to be able to get out new messages again and again, we think are pretty exciting. Well, you have at least 80 episodes already lined up, right? With each <laughs> clinic you have, you got someone there, I'm sure, is passionate and wants to talk about the great things they're doing. Because I think there is a lot of good news in healthcare. We hear, you know, the the when you look at headlines and stuff, you get a lot of the bad news. I mean, because bad news sells advertising. Um, but there's a lot of good stories. And I was, uh, I think I shared it on the previous podcast about some of the gains um, in healthcare, in underrepresented communities that um, are showing some great, signs of improvement now compared to other groups maybe there's still some lag there but if you look at just the past to the now and what's going on there's been some significant gains i'm thinking like uh you know uh, death rates are down for cancer and diabetes and and some other categories in say african-american population and things like that so when 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 we I love to hear good news. I'm an optimist, and I listen to things that, that that share those things. But it's so rare to find these days. So I, I think that you have a great story um, that you need to get out. So I, you know, I encourage you to get started, <laughs> you know, on this project. Well, you just gave us another idea of, of interviewing each of our members. That's that's a fascinating thought. Uh, we also thought that sometimes there's news that comes out that needs attention right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we send out urgent newsletters and, or bulletins or things like that. But we think an ability to communicate in the spoken word uh, on some of these news bulletins, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, might be an additional use for this type of technology. Well, I think you get the emotion as well, especially for your providers who are there when people are lining up around the corner. I mean, I, I did uh, help set up a, a dental uh, clinic at the Coliseum Annex. Uh, a couple years ago and while we were setting up the trucks were coming in we're setting up all the 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 chairs and the equipment and everything and there's a line forming and it wasn't going to open for another 36 hours but there was people camping out to get dental care and what i noticed what i mean that to me was the bad news that there was that much need that and then the good news is the emotions, the, the, the excitement of those who were there, not only to be a part of setting up, because we're not, you know, some of us aren't healthcare trained, um, but we're, you know, able bodied and, and able to come help set that up. But the providers who were showing up to do it were just, you know, the light that were shining from their auras were great. And it was just good to see that that, that energy's there. And it's hard to capture 
through, uh, you know, a written down press release or something like that. But, but when you can get them in front of the microphone and engage them like we are today, I think that that good news will come out. It, I, I think that's right. And since you mentioned it, you know, oral health is a great need uh, among the uninsured community. And I'm pleased that one of our members is entirely a dental clinic mm-hmm. um, over in Western Carolina. There's a, a, a clinic that does dental services. Many of our clinics have dental chairs within them. Some refer, have partnering relationships, so they refer out for dental care. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also have some other specialized free clinics that do pharmacy care only. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's one in Charlotte that is the uh, a statewide free pharmacy using mail order for the most most part that mm-hmm. that kind of service um, that is doing literally tens of thousands of prescriptions um, for people that have have need for medication. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of a number of those uh, pharmacy specific. Uh, free clinics. So mm-hmm. while most of them do primary care and, and then they bring other things in there, I did want to point out that there's some that provide these specialized services as well. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it, I think that this, this medium would help get that word out um, and share a lot of those success stories that, that are out there and also highlight the needs that, that the community has. I mean, we, we sort of know that we think we know the landscape of things. And then when you hear, the people who are in the trenches delivering the care and, and really can shine a light on the, the needs of the community better. And, and I think that's a great, great thing. So, again, you have 80 episodes, 80 plus <laughs> episodes already lined up for you. So I would say it, weekly instead of monthly because it'll take you every year just to get get those 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 recorded and, and produced. We might need an interviewer with your skills to do that. <laughs> well, so, uh, well I, I, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like to talk. So that's, you know, I, I parlay those things that can be a detriment in some places can be can be uh, an asset in others. Um, let's see. Let's let's get. Uh, um, so a unified voice promoting quality health care for all North Carolinians. How do you how do you get that voice unified? How do you uh, uh, aggregate the need that's out there and, and get that word out um, beyond what we're doing here today? Yeah, I, I think, Andy, you've just identified a unique role that our state association plays on behalf of our uh, member clinics. And that's advocacy. Um while I work out of Winston-Salem, I spend a lot of time in Raleigh, uh, particularly during the legislative session. But but also on a regular schedule, there's a whole series of meetings that we become engaged in because we represent free and charitable clinics. Um, there's a new resource platform for referring social determinants of health called NC Care 360. Mm-hmm. And we serve on as a member of the advisory council for that activity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a group called uh, Care Share Health Alliance that does uh, specialty care referrals. Um, and uh, I sit on that board and have a chance to attend. With the Office of Rural Health, they have a state uh, mandated uh, advisory council called the Primary Care Advisory Committee. And um, I, we have a seat on, on that. In fact, I'll be going there tomorrow for mm-hmm. one of those meetings providing input on uh, their community health grant program and other things. So there's just 
lots of things like that that give us a chance to tell our story. Mm-hmm. And then I would say one other role that we have uniquely played is we've we've been a source of convening with other safety net primary care providers. And so we have a strong and growing partnership with the community health centers, rural health centers, uh, school-based health centers, and local health departments where we are now collaborating together on purpose mm-hmm. um, and intentionally on and working together on specific projects. And so that forum gives us another way to uh, describe the uniqueness of, of our role. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the terms local and community-based and volunteerism and charity, um, it doesn't seem like there's uh, a volume issue. It's just more of a uh, distribution issue. I mean, we're, we're very lucky in Forsyth County. I'm sure like Mecklenburg and, and, and Wake and some of the larger counties have an abundance of, of people willing to volunteer and to donate money. And then um may may not be the case out in the rural area is that some of the things you look at is 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 how do you take that capacity and translate it into uh deliverables and and to create those great health outcomes that you mentioned earlier yeah well i think the volumes uh in each clinic are i guess as much as anything else a function of supply and demand uh but i would say the area of need is is um not in the demand, but in the supply. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we work hard to try and find additional resources for our members because we know every additional dollar we bring in there gives them the chance to apply that additional $7.38 worth of value <clears throat> to a, a person that doesn't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So we're all the time thinking about ways to expand access through our network. But we've been at this now in our state for more than 20 years. And um, so we pretty much, excuse me, we pretty much reach capacity in terms of what we can do with available resources. And so Mm -hmm. the greatest need we have would be additional resources. There's certainly a a willingness on the part of our member clinics to expand. Uh, They want to help in every way that they can. Uh, and but they need to have the resources to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like this model of healthcare is is what we need to look at uh, closer. I mean, you're getting you know that seven dollar multiplier for every dollar, and it, I don't know what the the figure is for uh, commercial uh, healthcare and health insurance is, and, and corporate funded healthcare insurance. Um, probably the opposite of that. <laughs> well, our cost for comparative services are. Are probably um, two thirds less mm-hmm. than traditional healthcare costing for the same service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a word for your audience who works more in traditional healthcare. We certainly value and respect the work, and in fact, we look to that source for a lot of ideas. And one of the ideas being played out there is the whole notion of value-based care or mm-hmm. value-based contracting. And so, a simple way to find value is to take uh, it's not really an equation but it sort of fits the view the view of, a, of an equation which is you take the quality of care and divide it by the cost of care mm-hmm. and then that gives you sort of a way to think about value and with our low cost providers maintaining equal or better quality of care 
you can tell that there's a lot of value in the free and charitable clinic community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm biased. We are biased. But we happen to think that there's a lot that could be learned uh, by examining more closely the work that we do. And, in fact, um, we have a growing relationship with a researcher at uh, Wake Forest University's uh, public health Mm -hmm. work, a physician who's helping us uh, research what's causing the good mm-hmm. that's coming out of our work in free and charitable clinics. Uh, but we just think it's an area that we would invite other people to help us learn yeah. within. I mean, it seems like there's some uh, fuzziness that's hard to measure. I mean, outcomes are a good measurement, but like the fact that um, there is probably, and I'm just shooting from the hip here, I like some view of those uh coming to the clinic of of a a higher level of trust just from entering because here are these people volunteering their time and resources to serve them so there's not this power dynamic that exists i think in commercial healthcare where here's this highly paid professional and here i am a lowly patient and there's there, there, there's just that you come at it with all of a sudden bias and and uh, just inequality, let's say, for lack of a better term. And and I think that there's probably a, a great part of that uh, outcomes measurement that's hard to measure or that's hard to quantify in that trust and that energy that you feel when you go because i've been to free clinics and there's just uh there is this this spirit that you feel that you don't get when you're in these you know very sterile clinical environments where everything is boom 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 and let's get them in and get them out um so i'm just ranting there but i think that there's there there, there's got to be you know this value if if we could capture some way and and just re- release that into these other environments. Maybe we could solve a lot of issues there. I mean, any. It's good to hear your observation of what I've seen too is the culture of free and charitable clinics. Mm-hmm. It's very accepting, very warm. There's not the sense of pressure to get in and get out. Um, I mean, we have a clinic now that's struggling with the fact that their average visit is an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're having to find ways to improve their performance because, you know, that's not mm. sustainable to spend an hour with every patient. But nonetheless, it, it, it tells the story that there's a desire to take as long as the patient needs. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard. It is hard to know whether that is the cause of the good health outcomes that we see. But I, I have to believe it's a contributing factor. We. We, we call it sort of the secret sauce of free clinics. We have, we don't know yeah. what the recipe for it is yet, but we're yeah. trying hard to find out. Well, I think it's in there. It's in the charity. It's in the volunteerism. Because anywhere you go where there's a, a great volunteer effort, you feel that energy of people just happy to be giving back. <laughs> and that's, you know, we you look at the social determinants and you look at that Maslow's hierarchy, you know, the, the, the pyramid. And, and those people who have reached the top, you know, still – have to find outlets to to uh, bring meaning and purpose in their lives, and one of those ways is to give back. And so, people who who have the means to give back always bring the energy with that too. And I think that you know, treating people with uh, dignity and respect at that level plus that energy 
builds that trust. And I think that trust is so important in those healthcare outcomes. And, and trust is one of these themes that we have here at the, at the medical center. Um, right now is, is a big focus in how do you earn that trust? Cause it's so easy to lose, but it's so hard to build. And I think, um, you know, the, the free and charitable clinic model is, is one of those where, where the trust just seeps out and oozes out of everyone involved. And, and so kudos for that, I guess is what I want to say. But also, I think, yeah, if we could find the magic, how to, how to share the secret sauce. And, and I think it comes down to that dignity and respect and not doing quantity of healthcare, but but the quality and those those visits of the provider and the patient and taking as long as it can. I mean, we, we you know, in commercial based healthcare, it's almost impossible to, to give the amount of time that that patient really needs. You're here for one complaint. That's all I can see you for. You might have 25 other things in your life that's going on that you need to to address that we can't in this visit. But. Yeah, it's it's nice to be here in the Wake Forest Baptist Hospital studio today. Um, and coincidentally, yesterday I had lunch with the person here at the hospital who's responsible for your program called Faith Health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it's the same ethos, mm-hmm. uh, the same sense of valuing the person, meeting them where they are, helping them feel valued um, is is part of that the faith health program and it's part of the free and charitable clinic program as well. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I'm overselling or maybe I'm not overselling, but I'm selling the, the volunteerism, the charity, but I'm also, you know, that's got to be balanced with doctors and nurses and healthcare workers have to make a living too. So somehow we, we find, you know, we take the model that you guys have and, and get the best stuff out of it and, and inject that into the, to the for-profit areas and, and somehow we can find this, this medium that serves the patient, but also serves those who, who need to put food on the table for their families. <laughs> well, you know, one of the areas, um, where I think all boats can rise together, to use that euphemism, is mm-hmm. um, in the area of of appropriately treating people in an appropriate setting. Or another way to say it is to eliminate waste or uh, over overuse of the healthcare system. And so, a big theme in free and charitable clinics is to reduce um, emergency department utilization mm-hmm. and hospital readmissions. Mm-hmm. And and um, just to tell a quick story, there's one of our clinics in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, has entered into a relationship with Onslow Memorial Hospital where they decided in their design to work more closely together. And as a result, there, four years ago, that clinic was seeing 200 patients a year. Now they're seeing 3,500 patients a year. And the hospital is reporting that their financial status has improved dramatically because they're not wasting money in the emergency department or on hospital readmissions. Mm -hmm. And I think that opportunity to work together means nobody loses anything. It's just that we use the resource that's been dedicated to healthcare in a in a more efficient way. Yeah, that's the distribution issue, I think. Um, But you guys have some impressive numbers. I'm just going to read through them. so, total number of patients in 2018, 80,300 patients. And then um, $283 million is the total value of services provided to those patients in 2018. So, a lot of bang for the buck there. And, and so, I, 
um, there's 7,000 plus over 7,000 number of volunteers for the, for the year. Um, just, you know, fantastic. I love good news and that's all great news, I think. And, um, I'm going to, ask how how do people out there that may be listening to this podcast saying yeah i have time i want to volunteer um how can they get involved and be a part of this good news story okay um good question and i would say um if you use the internet and access our website you'll be surprised how much great information is on there one of the things that's on there uh, is the annual outcomes report which you've actually that's an extract of that report, and, and it's downloadable to anybody who wants to see it. It's a report that we prepare for the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina Foundation every year. Um, and so there's one all kinds of good news um, in that report. But also on the very um, front homepage of that website, you will find a map of the state of North Carolina, and you will find a way to access every single uh, free clinic in our network. And when you drill down through uh, that icon, it'll take you to a page that gives you all the phone numbers, all the addresses, all the everything, scope of services. And that would calling the clinic directly is the most efficient way mm-hmm. um, to get that done. So our our website is um, ncafcc.org, www.ncafcc.org. And uh, there's a lot of good information right there. Yeah, I was going to make sure you got that in there. So ncafcc.org. Um, there is a donate button, I noticed, on there. So there people, is. <laughs> so people can go there and donate directly if you feel so inclined. But also, like 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 Randy said, uh, look up that map. It is an impressive map. There's dots all over the state. Um, and uh, locate the one nearest you and, and see how you can get involved. Um Anything else you would like to share with our listeners out there? Well, um, I think thank yous sometimes are in short supply, but but not with us. And I wanted to thank our sponsors. Um, I mentioned one already, the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Foundation. Um, Kate B. Reynolds Charitable Trust right here in Winston-Salem has always been a tremendous supporter of our work. We've now added uh, the Leon Levine Foundation and the Foundation for a Healthy Carolina, and we're thankful to them. And all the other folks have stepped forward, uh, like the Office of Rural Health, to bring resources to our association or to our our clinics. Um, but today, I want to especially thank you because you're teaching us through this experience how to bring a new resource uh, into play for us. And um, it's been great to spend some time with you. Well, I appreciate y'all coming. I'm happy to help out. And I just want to say that uh, Northwest AHEC, which is also accessible at northwestahec.org um, is also we, we support you through use of facilities and, and your annual meetings and consulting through helping you get up uh, to more speed with your distance learning and, and this endeavor with podcast content creation, that kind of stuff. And I think we're looking for other ways to, to, to uh, work together as well as partners in the future. So uh, again, I appreciate your time, Randy Jordan, uh, chief executive officer Cindy Jones, Director of Quality and Clinical Support, and Mark Shear, Deputy Director. Thank you for your time today, and I look forward to more good news. We'll have you back. Thank you. Thank you.